0: Uh, huh. That's weird.
1: Hey, Will, you look a little confused. And why are you so sweaty?
0: Oh, <laughs> it's nothing. I'm just, uh, well, usually John says hello to me right before we do Cinemaholics right here in this room. He says, hey, Will, all smug. And I say, hey, John, enthusiastically, he starts saying things I never understand, but just sort of go along with.
1: Wow. Sounds like an odd thing you two do for a film review podcast. Well, hey, cheer up. Maybe John's just late.
0: Maybe or maybe I'm talking to John right now.
1: Oh, uh, what?
0: <laughs> nice try, Abby. Or should I say John? I know what you're doing. You're possessing Abby O'Chessy's body using sci-fi movie technology. Well, guess what? I know you like I know the back of my Phoenix tattoo on my back.
1: Will, you're scaring me again.
0: See, I knew it. John always says that.
1: Whatever, Will. Just join me in the studio when you're ready to talk about movies, I guess.
0: Ho, 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 ho. Well, I suppose I will, Abby. I suppose I will? Uh, what's going on? Who are you, and why are you so sweaty? And is that my Hawaiian shirt? Wait, no, this can't be right. I'm, I'm me, me, not, not you. you. You're, you're me, me. I'm you. you. Are, Are you, you telling, telling me, me you, you, the, the truth? truth? Quick, answer question only the real Will would know. Okay, fine. What's your least favorite movie? Any, Any movie, movie that John says, John says he loves. <gasps> what,
2: does what does this, this mean? mean? Hey, Will, guess what I just got from the video store. That's right. It's that movie I love that you said the... You... Uh, Will, there's a puddle of sweat by your feet. Wait, you're the real John. But then, who is...
1: Guys, can we hurry up? And can someone oil this door? What What is is happening happening
0: right right
2: now? Now? Uh, Abby, I think something is wrong with the wills.
1: Yeah, they've been really acting up today.
2: Today? What do you mean, wills? I guess you could say you've been (laughs) spinning your wills lately. Ugh. Wow. Wow. Okay, Okay, John. John.
1: Come on, let's do the show already.
0: Yeah, finally. Let's get it over with already.
2: Sure. Yeah, hold on. I'll, I'll be right there, guys. Hmm. What is this? It's a receipt of some sort. It fell out of one of the wills' pocket. No. This says it was bought the same day I bought the shirt I'm wearing right now. In the same store? No. It's not possible. Who am I? John! That's right. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics from the San Francisco Bay Area. I am John Negroni, box office columnist for Adam Tickets and editor in chief of Cinemaholics.com. And look from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hello. From Kansas City. She is the film editor for the pitch. She has bylines all over the internet. It, we'd be here for days, but. I'll say from Slash Film to Crooked Marquee, it's Abiel C. Hello. I hope you don't mind that rhyme I added and that extra rhyme at the end of that one that I did that time.
1: Sorry, It was, it, it was creative and lovely.
2: You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, but not more rhymes, unfortunately, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. Although I guess it, I, I, there is a review I did once that was in rhyme, but I don't think it was for Cinemaholics. Yeah, i think it was uh, the cats one and that was for a different website and that's a story for a different day but anyway you can write into the show anytime by emailing us cinemaholics podcast at gmail.com and you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com cinemaholics If you become a patron today you get access to exclusive bonus podcasts which we will talk more about in off topics because we have a new episode out as of this recording but yeah we have a packed show for you all this week we're talking about a few films that are definitely worth talking about and before we get into it first off topics extra milestone our film anniversary podcast hosted by sam nolan put out the newest episode this past week will you were on that episode so you so take it away man what, what did you guys talk about
0: sure yeah we talked about three uh very different but very similar movies uh one was wanda the 1970s film by barbara Loden, who. Uh, Wrote, directed, and starred in the film, and we had Tim Burton's directorial debut, Pee-Wee's play or Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I should say, and then we finished it up with Agnes Varda's Vega Bound. So I thought it was a pretty good episode. I haven't had a chance to listen back to it yet, but I enjoyed the conversation.
2: I have. It made me want to go on a road trip <laughs> for obvious reasons. And yeah, it was a fun listen. Especially just, just listening to the audio of Pee-Wee Herman's uh, big adventure, the trailer was pretty delightful as was your opinions on it but also our patron exclusive podcast i alluded to earlier game over man the episode two just came out where sam nolan and adonis gonzalez review aliens the james cameron Mm -hmm. film that came out in i believe 1986 if i'm not mistaken that episode is live right now on our patreon link in the show notes just have to become a patron at any level to check it out. And by the way, if you are on our Patreon or if you are just a fan and want to email us for some merch, you can do that right away. You can get merchandise on our Patreon, you can reach out to us. We have hoodies, we have mugs, we have shot glasses. We even have t-shirts, which I know pretty rare. But all that stuff is available. It's basically stuff but with our logo on it. It's not like the most exciting merchandise in the world, but we're trying. And that's it. That's all the, the pluggy stuff. Let's, let's talk about the movies we're not covering this week. Cause there's a few, I mean, we don't always talk about what we don't talk about, but this week it's kind of important to bring up because there are three releases that were, you know, they're, they're, they're ones that maybe some people might've expected us to get into. The first one is the glorious, which is a film that premiered at Sundance. It stars Julianne Moore as Gloria Steinem, but also Alicia Vikander plays Gloria Steinem and, it, it's a movie I saw months and months back, and yeah, I guess the reasons, reason we're not covering it is none of us saw it, and I haven't seen it in months. So I am just curious, Abby, are you planning to check out The Glorious? Is it on your radar? Is it not?
1: Um, It's it's on there. I wouldn't say that it's high on my list of priorities. I haven't heard a ton that is sounding super compelling to want to check it out, but I am curious about the subject matter. So at some point in the future, I I may visit it.
2: Yeah, I had an adverse reaction to it when I first saw it. It's just really long and it felt really rushed over this incredible life. And yeah, I didn't have a lot of positive things to say about it. And so I'm assuming, we'll similar situation for you. But on top of Gloria's, there's also uh, Spontaneous, which I think you just started watching. So you didn't have time to finish and see. So we're probably going to have to wait to talk about Spontaneous next week. But yeah, what is that film?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a new film with, um, let's see, Chris, uh, Charlie Plummer. And uh, what's her name from Catherine Langford? There you go. Uh, Yeah, it's a fun movie so far. I have to finish it uh, either tonight or tomorrow, but I'm enjoying it so far. But I'll have to share my thoughts in full when I finish the
2: film. All right. And the last is On the Rocks, which is the new Sofia Coppola film with Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. And I'm just astounded that we're not talking about this. And the, the reason it's not our fault, I just wasn't able to get a screener or any access to it it's i think only playing in theaters and i guess that's that's kind of something we don't have time to talk about it but I, we don't have a listener voicemail section this week but we have one coming up that's sort of about movie theaters but just in general just the news that regal is closing all of its theaters in the u.s no time to get die moved over to april and it's looking like a lot of the films that are going to come out in november and december are probably going to get pushed uh, i'm curious abby i mean you know we, we didn't really plan to talk about this. I don't want to really dive into it deeply, but what, what do you make of what's going on right now with a the theatrical situation? Because I'm frustrated, to be honest.
1: Yeah, um, I would say that I'm I'm pretty disappointed uh, that that's happening, but I'm also not super surprised. Um, just given the way that things are going, it is, it's sort of a weird and frustrating time to be covering movies. But um, fortunately, I feel like there have been a lot of really good streaming releases, so I'm happy to continue covering those, but yeah, I mean, it definitely makes jobs harder for people in our position, and I also feel really bad for folks who have their livelihoods depending on working for for larger theaters like that. I know that's a difficult situation to be in,
2: yeah, our very own Sam Noland you know works for a movie theater, and yeah, this has been super trying for him, obviously, and will you work for you know the movies, the theatrical experience and yeah, I'm sure you're, you're probably not loving this, but I guess you're more in the indie art house scene. Yeah, that's correct. But yeah. I, I How are you feeling right now? I mean, I, I don't think you were surprised either, right? About no time to die, but yeah. What do you think is going to happen next?
0: Oh, uh, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't surprised to, to be sure. It's just like another thing to pile onto 2020. It's just like, yeah, of course the theaters are going to stay closed or they're going to probably start closing more as far as the chains like AMC and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a, a pretty bummer year movie wise, I think, for the rest of uh 2020. But I'm hoping, like Abby said, some good streaming stuff still comes out. Obviously, we have a few Netflix films that are gonna be uh, coming out pretty soon. They're worth recommending, hopefully, and uh, obviously what I'm looking forward to seeing. But yeah, as far as the uh, theatrical releases, it's gonna be a 2020 at the earliest situation, which is disappointing, but nonetheless what you can expect from this year.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we. It, it, I think what's going to happen next on that front with the streaming is we'll get some stuff. We'll get, probably get some Netflix movies. Some will be good. Some will be bad. Some will be okay. I'm nervous about there being a drought of releases because if production doesn't really kickstart anywhere and they're not able to make films again, I mean, what are we going to do? Like, I mean, what does this show become?
0: <laughs> there are some films that are being made right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. way less than uh, normal year, but I mean, I don't think it's going to be completely a drought for the future, but it is going to be weird in 2021 and certainly 2022. What What's going to be movie watching and what, what are we going to see? Uh, it's right. probably going to be a lot of documentaries, uh, people uh, Skyping in or Zooming or whatever, but we'll see. It yeah, we'll already out.
2: is. <laughs> yeah. You, I think you're right. And uh, yeah, I, 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 all I'm trying to say is I think this is going to have to pivot to a podcast that is about um, Avatar The Last Airbender. So, I mean, that's Will's idea, at least. But anyway, um, things I say that aren't true aside, let's get into our first review of the week. Let's talk about Possessor.
0: You have a very special nature.
1: One we've worked hard together to unlock. <laughs>
2: me out the results are
1: normal anything you want to flag no no i'm fine mom hi darling
0: how was your trip? dull extraordinarily dull
1: our next contract's a big one
0: the target is the ceo of the largest operation in the
2: u.s
1: You'll be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on
2: this one. All right, Possessor is a, another film that came out at Sundance uh, in addition to The Glorias, but this is the one we're talking about. It definitely has made a bigger impression on a lot of critics. I remember when this movie, it's a science fiction horror film. I remember when Possessor started showing at the critic screenings and the premiere at Sundance. I did not stop hearing about it. I heard that it was really tough to watch. I heard, okay, it's Brandon Cronenberg. And the main vibe was he really earns his last name in this, which, okay. Um, I'm a fan of Cronenberg films, of course. But yeah, I think that it it is interesting that he wrote and directed something like this that is being compared to David Cronenberg's work, which I think this film is, I don't know, there's things about it that are definitely its own thing, but we'll get into it. So this is a co-production. It's not just United States, but also Canada, United Kingdom. Uh, it stars Andrea Risebro, Christopher Abbott, Steve Sutherland, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sean Bean. A really good cast and a really good production value. This is a, a neon film and it's it's brutal. And uh, the story of it is not not super complicated. I was actually a little surprised like watching it how easy it was to follow for the most part, like it's kind of got a simple story, which is that we have this like assassination corporation. They're people who make money off of assassinations and they have a special brain implant technology thing where they, these assassins can inhabit other people's bodies. And they try to commit like the perfect assassination in the sense that uh, it'll never get traced back to the wrong person, and it's set up perfectly to end somebody's life in the way that the the buyer wants. And it, it's it's a cool premise, and I think that where it goes from there, we're we're mainly in the the shoes of, if I should say that, Andrea Riseborough's character, who's a very fascinating person. She's done this many times, and this this sort of experience of what she does of going into other bodies is starting to affect her. And she's starting to sort of lose control a bit of how she's like herself basically. So that that's the setup for the movie again, not super complicated, but definitely a little trippy and uh, some abstract stuff. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Abby old What did you think of possessor? Uh, Did it possess you to give it a good review?
1: Uh, it it did possess me to to give it a good review. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie, and I think the uh, the more philosophical aspects of it were my some of my favorite parts because um, the uh, the the deal it's it's kind of half of it is that Andrea Riseborough's character is kind of struggling to. Uh, to know herself after having done all of this work where she is imitating other people, um, by connecting to their bodies and taking them over. And that becomes a real problem when she has to inhabit, uh, Christopher Abbott's body, uh, so that her company can take out a hit on his father-in-law is played by Sean Bean. Um, and so she has difficulty kind of, um, maintaining control over, over the body that she's given because she has kind of lost a sense of her own self, I think, in the middle of that. So there's a lot of um, really interesting questions about identity and the importance of knowing yourself and the importance of um, being able to understand your own motivations and how that kind of gives you control over your own actions. Um, This is coming from somebody who's been reading a lot about the Enneagram lately. So this is uh, stuff that I've been thinking about a lot. (laughs) Um, Oh,
2: Abby, what is your Enneagram? I have to know.
1: Oh, uh, I am a three with a four wing. So I am, yeah, I'm, I'm an achiever who likes to feel special.
2: (laughs) I'm, I'm weird. I go, I'm, I'm a two. So I, I'm very, uh, dependent and introverted, but I love, I love supporting people. So I guess that's good. I'm a two wing one.
1: Oh, I see. So you're, you're very, you're very law abiding then.
2: Unfortunately, guy.
1: That's, that's okay. My, my dad is actually a two, so you're in good company. Um, but, uh, all that aside, I think, uh, the thing that I found really interesting about it was just the ideas of, um, of self-knowledge and how that kind of informs self-control, um, and how there are a lot of questions about Andrea Riseborough's character's own, um, desires and thoughts and feelings that have kind of been erased after all this time inhabiting other people's bodies. Um, I would say there there is a lot in it that is sort of difficult to watch but also if you have watched any David Cronenberg movies like ever um especially his earlier stuff but pretty much anything like up to like Existence none of it will surprise you um and I I would say that in some ways I feel like his influence is felt a little too strongly in this there was there's there's a lot of it that is its own thing but I feel like some of its most effective moments visually are things that I would not be surprised to see in a David Cronenberg movie. So it would be it's I think there's a lot of promise here, but I would like to see for, in the future from Grant Brandon Cronenberg. I'd, I'd love to see something a little more differentiated just to see what else he can do.
2: Yeah, we should we should definitely give kind of a checkup. Not everybody. Not everybody's probably seen his previous film, Antiviral, which came out about eight years ago. It's also a science fiction horror film. And uh, I think it's. Uh, Canadian and French and, and things like that. Other than that, he's done some short films too. So this, this is a big like moment for him. I think, I think this is him really, you know, coming out with something really major create a major project for him creatively. And yeah, I think, uh, I think there is healthy debate to be had in how this film compares to Brandon Cronenberg's father's films. I think for me, the big, Connective tissue, or I should say the opposite, the disconnected tissue—the thing that really separates them. Let's be simple here: is that I think Possessor has a level of coherence and plot symmetry that I tend to not see in his dad's work. Um, and it's—it's it's not a slam against David Cronenberg. Obviously, he's hugely influential, and Videodrome changed the way that I watch, you know, movies in general but I think there's something here that does feel special and unique to me, even though it is hard for me to put words to it. So I think again, healthy debate to be had. I'm curious where you stand. Will Ashton on this movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was the one that was, uh, I guess, championing this film as far as it being reviewed this week. Um, and that was one I was looking forward to since it was uh, premiering it, or it was announced and then premiered at the Sundance film festival because um, I did like antiviral. I saw it when it came out and um At the time, like, or thinking back on, I was like, oh, you know, I thought it was pretty good. I I enjoyed it. But actually looking back to what I had said then, I was like, oh, I actually liked it more than I had recalled because I do think he captures a lot of the things that his dad does well. I do think he captures the themes as far as like we said before, like the idea of like kind of advancing technology as far as like breaking moral grounds and moral decencies, but also studying like the inherent like um, perversions and like different psychosis that are in the human body and human interests and just like obviously orifices play big into his father's films and uh, maybe lesser so to uh, Brandon Cronenberg's films. But uh, I I believe it's still there to an extent, uh, particularly with all the ear shots and things like that throughout this film. Um, But nonetheless, uh, as far as this movie is concerned, I did like it. I mean, I don't think I'm quite as hot on it as John is uh, not to give away how you're feeling about it, but, I think for me, because the movie is so much about identity and so much about like one sense of uh, personhood and like individuality or duality as far as like who they are and like who gets control, like Abby was saying, like self-control and like who really controls like your sense of good or more decency. Um, those are all really compelling ideas. And I think obviously I think he does it well. I really like the car- key parts of this a lot, but um, It's also hard when you make a movie like this to have your own sense of, you know, identity. And I think, as we've been saying throughout this review, like the fact we keep evoking his dad's name can't help but make this feel a bit like a pache in a way that I I don't think it's bad. Like, I obviously think this is a well-made film. And and as you were saying, like, I think the um, art direction, the performances, uh, the off-kilter cinematography and different things like that really stand out and showcase a filmmaker who even coming off of his first film, which I liked shows more confidence and uh, more like control as far as his uh, understanding of the medium. But I still think he's still coming into his own as a director. I don't quite see that narrative um, coherence, I guess that you're referring to John quite yet, but I am seeing his sense of emboldenment as far as just pushing the limits and just really going out there and like not really restraining himself in any particular sense, which might obviously turn some people off, particularly as far as, um, how violent, how gory this movie gets, but I did enjoy it. I definitely think it's fun. I got to see it, at the drive-in, which is, I think really cool. And, uh, I, I don't know if this is going to be a crowd pleaser. I can't really tell you how the other people felt because I was in my car, but I imagine this is going to intrigue as many people as it turns off, which is cool with me. I, I definitely enjoy films that, uh, don't really care one way or the other how other people feel. They're just doing their own thing. And I think that's the case. But like I said, at the same time, I do think this isn't quite a like quote unquote, like Brandon Cronenberg film. It still feels like he is evoking his father in a way that like, you know, it's fine. He's still coming into his own. This is only his second film. And, you know, obviously like this film is going to be reminiscent of like dead ringers and scanners and existence and shivers and all these different films that his father did because they tackle similar ideas. And they're also very, inherently universal and you know human ideas so you know I'm not expecting complete and total originality here but I do think by I'm hoping by the time we get to like his third or fourth film he's really gonna find that balance of doing his own thing and being more individualistic while evoking his father and I think he's not quite there yet but he's on the right path and that that makes me excited
2: I I guess where we just disagree is I, I think that he does this so well in my view that it definitely outshines any sort of criticism on originality. Because I do think there is an original storytelling structure in this. I think that the way the, the way the film showcases how bodies and machines are slammed together, kind of in an uncomfortable way to get its point across, it's something we've seen in plenty of other movies for sure. But it does have unique pressure points. And there was a squeamishness to this. And uh, that's combined with paranoia that I just I don't see in a lot of Cronenberg, except for maybe Videodrome. But, but even then, it's like when I think of uh, films that make me paranoid on top of being horrified, I think of films like The Conversation. And this is something that kind of pushed me into that realm of discomfort. And I think that's why I'm I'm just so I'm responding to it as much as I am. And like I said, I think that it, it's executing on all of its cylinders in terms of like the visuals here are just meticulously done. There are just little moments in this film that just give me cinematic pleasure. Just seeing like Andrea, Ro- like seeing Risegrow's character, like watching this person from afar, learning their little habits, trying to apply them. And then seeing David Abbott's performance of somebody who's being possessed, uh, something the audience Abbott. knows that, say again.
0: It sounds like you said David Abbott. I think it's Christopher Chris, Abbott.
2: Christopher Abbott. Yeah. But yeah, just just his performance here, which I think is definitely nothing to to sniff at. And uh, I, I forgot to mention um, who plays his wife, Tuppence Middleton, who is kind of a person who do- doesn't get her due in this movie. It is one of the flaws here. But just there general, are scenes. Good she is. Yeah. And yeah. I think that this movie definitely utilizes the characters pretty well, but it goes places and unpredictable places because you kind of see where this movie might be going. And then it's like, you think it's this actually it's a 2020 version of eyes without a face, which you probably didn't see coming. And I know you're probably going to say you keep referencing other films. It's not original. You know, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, I do kind of get that of like, but to me it feels way more homage. It feels more tribute To the films before, including David Cronenberg. But all right, I've I've gone on and on, Abby. What what do you make of all this Kerfuffle?
1: I think I I agree with you a little. I I agree with both of you kind of. I think that there are some elements of it that feel a little uh like I I would love to see Brandon Cronenberg continue to grow and evolve as a filmmaker. I would like to see him grow and evolve in some ways that are a little more divergent, maybe, uh content-wise, than than some of the stuff that his father has made. Uh, however, I will say that. John, I think you're right in that it is a little differentiated from from other things. Like, it starts off feeling very cold and clinical, which is something that I kind of tend to associate with David Cronenberg movies. Um, but I think the difference here is that he really gets into sort of the human cost of the uh, the technology that he's exploring, um, like the emotional cost of it. And uh, I think you're right. That's where the the performances come into play. And I think Andrea Riseborough, particularly is just outstanding. Like, there's a scene early on where she's standing outside of the home of her estranged husband and son. And she's like practicing emotions. Like she is trying to practice emotions that will make her sound engaged and loving. And you can tell that she's trying really hard, but it's just like, it's an effort for her. Whereas when she's trying to imitate the, uh, the actions of, uh, of Christopher Abbott's character, Colin, she, uh, like she picks up on it pretty fast. And uh, I think that becomes a really interesting issue when you have both of those personalities in Abbott's body. And honestly, I think he has the more challenging of the two performances because he's having to do these actions in such a way that you're constantly questioning who's actually in charge, um, whether it's it's him or uh, Andrea Riseborough's character, Tassia. Um, and... I, I feel like there's there's a lot of push and pull between the two styles of performances. Like Riceboro's is very restrained and more quiet and kind of uh, interior, and Abbott's is much more uh, it's it's louder, it's more uh, emotive, it's more bombastic. And so, kind of seeing how those two sides play in the same person is a fascinating thing to watch. And I feel like that is something that um, that this movie gets that I I wouldn't necessarily. Expect to see quite on that level from other movies like it. So in that way, it is unique.
2: Yeah, I'll admit I'm still processing it. Uh, including, I told Will like while I was watching that I I wanted to restart it. Like there were just things about it that were provoking me <laughs> and generally, and uh, I was already feeling like I was ready to start over and then rewatch it before I'd even finished it. And I, I just think that that speaks to just how the film like brought me along on this to me fascinating sci-fi exploration of the human mind and how it works and how you know, what pushes us to violence and just how brutal, you know, the, the world, how brutal and unforgiving the world can be. And I I just really appreciate those limits. Well, that you mentioned how it pushes those limits. I really appreciate that on like such a deep, deep level, uh, in the, for this movie. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, but yeah, we'll get into your final thoughts and grades. It sounds like you're teetering on, uh, on disappointment to me and mild disappointment to me, but that's all right.
0: Uh, No, I mean, disappointment's not the word I would go with. I just think my expectations were maybe a little higher than I should have gone in with this um, because I just really love that trailer. It's one of my favorites of the year. And uh, I, I I agree with you. I think from a visual standpoint and from an acting standpoint, this is really top notch. And I mean, obviously Andrea Risenborough, she's a chameleon. I don't know how, she looks like a different person in every movie. Like it, 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 just baffles me. Like if you like showed me like five pictures of her, and I would not think it's like the same person. She just has a way of like becoming a different person uh, in a really effective way, which obviously makes her perfect. for yeah, the film fitting. <laughs> um, which you know, nonetheless, but um, yeah, I I do think the movie though rides on Christopher Abbott's shoulders, and um, you know, I think he's really one of our like best working actors, our best young working actors, I want to say. Because I think he's really doing some interesting character work. I I think he's doing some stuff that really appeals to me. And um, yeah, I think the movie kind of rides on his shoulders and I think he does it really well. And I think, you know, that's the reason why I was really able to get into it with the second half. And I do agree with you, Abby. I think that's where um, more of like Brandon Cronenberg style is starting to come into play, where he's not really fully imitating uh, his father but rather kind of finding his own like pressure points as, as you mentioned as you, um, just kind of figuring out what his style is going to be moving forward which which is really what gets me excited um, especially seeing him come out so confident with just his second film but yeah I mean I like the film I, I don't want to make a sound otherwise um, I, I think it's it's well made I, I don't think it's going to have a wide audience but I do think the people who tend to like this type of thing are going to enjoy it and they are obviously because I'm seeing the reviews and it seems like a lot of people are really favorable on the film as far as the people who enjoy it which is good um, I did like it though I, I'm like a high B on it verging on B plus like I like it I think it's fun it makes me really excited to see what Brandon Cronenberg is going to do with his future films. Hopefully they come along sooner than uh, his second film. Cause it took a good bit between antiviral and this one. But um, yeah, I, I think he has a good future bright head on his shoulders. I'm excited for it. Um, my only, the only thing I would disagree with is I think paranoia, I, I would say it plays more into David Cronenberg's film than you're suggesting. Like I, when I think back on like the idea of just body horror in general is just the idea of not really knowing like, who you are and what your capabilities are. And that to me just seems like such a paranoia inducing idea by design. And I think that is evocative of this film
2: as well as, uh,
0: David Cronenberg's films as well. Okay. I I
2: can, I can clarify. I'm talking about societal paranoia versus body horror paranoia. And I think that's why, that's why I mentioned conversation. And I don't, I don't see that same like socio political, like the world is like tipped against me. in a lot of his films, like some for sure. But in this one, I felt it was a, bit it was pushing a lot more
0: I get. I don't know I guess we'll just have to disagree I I get what you're trying to say I just I feel like that's pretty present in a lot of his films just to maybe milder extent and some than others but you know I haven't seen every one of his films so I don't want to speak as a I don't want to speak as though as a as though I've seen all of them but um yeah I know I'm I'm favorable in the film I liked it maybe a little less than you I'm not quite sure where Abby stands on it but it's a good time I enjoyed it that's fun
2: all right, yeah, I, we don't know if Abby is going to give it a B, uh, or an A for Abby. Okay, oh, sorry, Abby.
1: Grown.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a lot today for me. I get it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this movie. I'm an A minus, really high. Like, could could verge on an A. I'm. I want to rewatch it, and I, I think it's because I just. I think it just really landed all of its punches with me, and. You know, I I have to agree with the sentiment. It's not for everybody. I think that's pretty clear. I think people should watch the trailer and decide for themselves if this is something they want to get into. But I think the sentiment that's been brought up is true that you know what you're in for with this movie. Uh, And, you know, I'll I'll say with Christopher Abbott too, I think it's kind of funny we mentioned him in uh, kind of where he's at as an actor right now. Obviously, his career is really blossoming in the indie scene especially. And I think that it's kind of funny how his first film was uh, Martha Marcy, May Marlene. And we just talked about the the follow up to that uh, on the show not too long ago. So uh, fun, fun synergy in the Cinemaholics podcast world. So, yeah, again, though, for Possessor, A minus, I think this thing is basically a slam dunk. And uh, as you all know, I I love sci fi horror. So uh, I mean, I'm easy to please when it's done really well. And so that's definitely the case with this one for me. But Abby, finish us out. Uh, What is your final thought, your final grade, all that stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm teetering between a B plus and an A minus myself. I think I'm probably gonna go with A minus, um, just because I like the um I like the ideas that are presented in this so much. Uh and it that really overrides any other qualms that I would potentially have over like originality or any of the other stuff that we've discussed. I think the performances are really strong, the visuals are very impressive. Um and there's a, there's definitely a very clear vision at work here. Uh, and also I like, I like the way that it tackles, um, all of these really interesting philosophical questions in a way that is dramatically compelling. So yeah, I think, uh, I think an a minus for me is a, is a solid bet.
2: All right. So double a minus for me and Abby. Um, I guess there's a, I see a little B over there in the corner from somebody who knows from, Oh, it's from, Will. um, I, I, I I'm glad you both liked the movie. I'm glad you liked it, Will. I wish you had liked it more, but I totally get where you're coming from with your criticisms. And uh, with that, we uh, should say to you, Possessor is currently playing theatrically, I think in the United States and Canada. Very, very limited release here. It should be available on VOD, though, within some time. Uh definitely recommend you wait if you're interested in seeing the film to check it out that way. I, I don't think this is one that's you need to necessarily rush out to the theater for reasons that are pretty obvious. Oh, I, I, I forgot. Drive-ins. Yeah. Those are a thing. <laughs> that's say, how you it, saw it, right?
0: Yeah. I was gonna say it, it's really fun at the drive-in. I, I would recommend seeing it that way. I mean, you know, keep in mind who you go with because, you know, they may not be along with it, but um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I think it's fun to see it's on the big screen. If you can, obviously drive-ins are much safer right now than regular theaters. And I think it fits the format. So yeah, I wouldn't dissuade anyone from not going to the drive-in, but regular theaters, yeah. VOD is probably the better way to go right now.
2: I want to bring up real quick before we get into our next film. I, I just went to the drive-in last night with some friends, and we saw India uh, social distancing, of course. We saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom at the drive-in. And that was a that was a fun watch. You know, that's always been a movie that I've I've always felt is like very random and just how it like I don't know. It just feels like such a footnote adventure for this character. And the the story of it is just kind of I, I honestly I think it's kind of dumb. But on the big screen, I you know, in drive-in format, I actually kind of recommend it. It was it was pretty fun to watch. Um and uh obviously Harrison Ford in uh his like ripped tank top is definitely that's a look that I think you should always be going for. That said, I you know, re-watching it, obviously the short round stuff is kind of weird, but it did kind of make me think, what if we could get an Indiana Jones movie like a new one where instead of Indiana Jones, it's short round all grown up and he's played by Henry Golding. So it does not sound like anybody else is into that idea. So, OK,
0: I think we'll I heard on. that pitched somewhere else is like a similar idea, but I'd be sure. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree.
1: I think I've I've heard something similar in a different in a different format. But yes, I I agree that Adult Short Round would be a fun thing to catch up with. I would like that very much.
2: Anyway, let's get into our next movie. Let's talk about Dick Johnson is Dead. This is a new documentary. I have not seen this. This is yet another Sundance. This is a lot of Sundance actually. I think I think every movie we're talking about is Sundance. It just dawned on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of the ones I did manage to see, but I've heard super great things. This is directed by Kirsten Johnson, and which uh, if that sounds like Dick Johnson, you will find out why in a moment. But yeah, I did not get a chance to see this at Sundance. didn't get a chance to see this here. Um, I think that this is available on Netflix, right? So uh, pretty accessible. Uh, one of the more accessible releases we're talking about this week. But Abby Olchesty, what is Dick Johnson? What is Dick Johnson is dead? Uh, what is it about? And should we be watching it?
1: Yeah, uh, this is on Netflix. It actually premiered on Netflix on Friday, I think, uh, which is really exciting. I'm I'm very glad that uh, people will get an opportunity to see a movie of this caliber in such a wide and easily accessible way. Um, so Dick Johnson is dead is uh, kind of a documentary memoir by, uh, Kirsten Johnson, uh, who is Dick Johnson's daughter. Uh, Kirsten Johnson is a, um, cinematographer and also a, uh, becoming a very well-known, uh, documentary director in her own right. Uh, her previous documentary was a film called Camera Person that kind of compiled footage from, uh, her experiences over her, like, 25-year, um, cinematography career and it's it's a fascinating piece of work and has gotten a lot of really great uh praise and rightly so um so this is her follow-up to that uh and it's her, her um experience with her dad as he is kind of declining from alzheimer's disease um and so she decides and kind of collaborates with him on a project that will uh potentially kind of take some of the sting out of uh his 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 death, his eventual death, uh, and the knowledge that he is kind of um, losing, losing his uh, his memory and his his faculties a little bit. Uh, so she films a series of scenes in which her dad dies uh, suddenly and accidentally, uh, and these are all like really abrupt and very funny moments. Um so like the first one comes in just like a few minutes into the film and he's he's crushed by a falling air conditioner. Um there are other ones where he like gets whacked to a board full of nails, uh like dies in a car accident, falls downstairs, like all kinds of really small, short and unexpected little scenes. Um and there are also in between those uh scenes that she shoots that are kind of imaginings of uh the afterlife of what it will be like after Dick eventually passes on. Um, and there there are these really touching scenes of just like this brightly lit kind of heaven where he gets to sit in his favorite chair and eat as much chocolate cake as he wants uh, because chocolate cake is his favorite food. Uh, And he's reunited with his wife and um, his, his club feet that he's had since birth are healed by Jesus. Um, So like lots of scenes like that. Uh, But in between you have all these moments that are actual reality of him as he, Uh, retires from his psychiatry practice and uh, leaves his home in Seattle to move in with his daughter and says goodbye to his friends. Um, And as his daughter, uh, Kirsten, just kind of lives with the reality of the fact that her dad is at the end of his life and what it's going to feel like after he passes away. Um, And knowing that that losing him is going to be a really long and drawn-out process because her mother also died from Alzheimer's disease. So they're having to understand that that reality is going to be very long and drawn out and they should prepare for some pain and frustration because of that. Um, So there's, there's a lot of uh, relatable feeling here that I love a lot. Um, I think if anybody has had to live through the death of a beloved family member, or even if you've just like thought about it for a couple of seconds, I feel like there's a lot in this movie that can resonate with you. Um, And I think the way that she tackles this subject and the creativity with which she tackles it i think just displays how much she loves her dad which i think is also another thing about this movie that is just so moving that it's a real expression of love from um a daughter to her father and you can see the amount of care that she has for him in in every single moment um so yeah i i like this movie a lot i think it's really beautiful and sweet um and it it packs a real emotional wallop it's very funny but it will also make you cry
2: all right. Yeah. I've, I've heard this one is uh, a sobering watch. One that I really want to see for that reason. And, uh, you know, it was mentioned earlier that, you know, I think you said it will, that maybe all we're going to get our documentaries, um, <laughs> at some point because of the, the drought of films. And, uh, maybe if, if they're, if they all have to be documentaries, could if they were all like Dick Johnson is dead, would that make you happy?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, I love this movie. It's easily one of my favorites of the year, and I think Abby said quite well why. Um, The only thing I would really want to add is that I think for me, in addition to everything that Abby said, something that really makes me love this movie so much is that it is such a celebration of film and art and creativity as far as like the idea that when you have art and you have a film, like in a sense, like as long as you have the film, the people in it aren't truly gone which is something that I've really come to appreciate with time like the idea that like especially as we start losing a lot of like actors and people that we really love and revere sometimes even like kind of shocking and unexpected fashions there is some comfort in knowing that like a film can keep their life intact in some fashion or at least like keep their memory alive in a way that uh, is really powerful in retrospect I think and even in the moment in some respects but Uh, As far as this movie, yeah, it it does evoke um, two recent films from last year that really moved me as well, which were um, The Farewell and uh, Our Time Machine, which is another documentary and kind of a similar fashion as far as exploring a filmmaker trying to use his art to uh, make sense of his father's illness and memory decline. And so if you really want to just cry your eyes out... (laughs) That's a triple feature for you to watch. Um, but um yeah, I, I I think this movie is fantastic. I really love how emotional and resonant it is. But um in a way, like Abby said, it's not like you know, completely depressing, but it is also, you know, a, a very um sobering watch in many respects, but also quite heartwarming and endearing as well. And uh yeah, it it really spoke to me and uh it's basically everything I love about film in one very sweet, lovely uh, personal package. And uh, I hope it gets a wide audience because I think this is some of the best filmmaking you're going to see this year.
2: I, I vaguely get the sense that you both want me to watch this now, which, you know, good luck. Uh, I've been super busy. Forgot my Netflix password. No, obviously I want to see this very badly. Just did not get a chance. And then also the the movie that I squeezed in, I wanted to see something else so we could cover it for the show. But yes, Dick Johnson is dead it is absolutely on my radar. You both have said a lot of really great things about it. It sounds like your grades are probably going to be pretty high too. So Abby, yeah. Uh, where are you at with this film grade wise?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an a. I, a, can we do a plus? I, yeah, I, it gets my highest <laughs>
2: whatever grade, you want. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it's, I, I, I love a lot about this movie. I can't really think of anything to, to fault it. It's a very personal document and, uh, it's personal in a way that can still resonate with pretty much anybody who watches it. Um it's very sweet and lovely and therapeutic. And yeah, I love it. I love it a lot.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Will Ashton, tell us all about your C.
0: No. Um yeah, no, this is it's, it's a very, very high A minus for me. It's verging on A. Um, I don't know. I maybe as time passes I'll I'll give it the A, but for right now I'm a very high A A minus on it um yeah it's just like abby said it's a very sweet moving film and uh i mean i wish i got to see in theaters i believe abby you got to see it at a film festival earlier this year pre-covid um and and i'm definitely a bit envious of that because i think seeing this in theaters would have been a really amazing opportunity especially for some of these visual sequences like you mentioned the like nirvana heaven sequences that are done in a very hyper stylized slow motion fashion look gorgeous and uh yeah, I, I, I wish I had that experience. But alas,
2: even on Netflix, it, it's worth a watch um, for sure. So, yeah, high A- for me. I am very excited to see this just for even Kirsten Johnson. um, very curious about more of her, you know, her life and, and this sort of style. Um, I never saw a camera person, but I remember hearing such great things about that. And it's good. Yeah, I I definitely am even more curious about that film as well. Sounds like it'd probably be a good follow-up, but Dick Johnson is Dead is currently available to stream on Netflix. Sounds like, according to Will and Abby, you should be prioritizing this one while you're still alive. All right, let's talk about another streaming film and another Sundance film that came out this past year, and it's called Scare Me. It is kind of a horror comedy, I guess. Uh, It is written, directed, and produced by Josh Rubin. Um, This is his first film. And, uh, you know, you'll recognize one of these actors pretty quickly because of her appearance on a much bigger property. Um, If you've watched season two of The Boys, you have been introduced to Aya Cash, who comes into that show as one of the new center characters. And Aya Cash plays a character in that called Stormfront, who, whoa, if you've seen the show. But uh, in this movie, this was my introduction to Aya Cash because I had never seen her in anything before. I know, Will, you're more familiar with um, the dark comedy series she's done, You're the Worst. Uh, That's just something I haven't seen personally. But I think that's probably what she's best known for before this.
0: Yeah, I've only seen a little bit of that show, but I've been told it's fantastic. And what I've seen is really good. So I would like to check that out.
2: Yeah, it sounds like it is worth checking out. And uh, yeah, so it it also stars Josh Rubin, this movie, uh, along with Rebecca Drysdale and Chris Redd. And the idea of the story is that we have this kind of down and out guy. He is kind of a terrible writer, basically. And I'm recounting the story as I remember it when I saw this in January, by the way. So you two will have to carry this review a little bit because uh, some of the details are a little fuzzy for me. But I do remember that he he's sort of forced himself to go to this cabin to try to ignite a writing career and who is across the way from him, but somebody who is around his age, but has seemingly easily found really great success as a horror writer. So she kind of, you know, stumbles across him and they they start talking and uh, getting to know each other during a snowstorm and she starts to sort of challenge his idea of what makes a scary story good. So we we kind of have something that's like it's not the high concept idea of something like, you know, Cabin in the Woods. It's it's not like a a parody or a satire like Scream. It really is more of like an existential look at how we tell scary stories. And we've kind of find out that sometimes the people who tell these stories are maybe the true horror. So that's kind of the idea of this movie. I have to be honest. I I remember this movie. I remember thinking this movie was okay. I, I didn't have like a, a big aversion to it. I like the idea of it. I love Aya Cash's hand sweater in this. I'll never forget that. And their moment it has its moments. It's, you know, the thing is, it's not very funny and it's not scary. So, I don't know what this movie is trying to do to me, so I just kind of walked away from it very unaffected but Abby Chessy, you just saw the film. it is on shutter right now what did What did you think of scare me are are you about to scare me into changing my review?
1: I might i don't know i I actually really enjoyed it, and i I found it very funny. There was at least one point that I got a full a full on like snort laugh, so it's i think it it did it for me um I, I would say that um it is a pretty lo-fi movie and I think it's it's right at home on a service like Shudder, where I think a lot of horror fans um and also fans of of some of the series like uh like The Boys and You're the Worst, which are also in other streaming services, uh I think can find a lot to love. Um I, I do think that it would probably struggle uh among some higher uh, profile releases, like in a place like Sundance, um, which I did think about while I was watching it. I I thought like, if I were to see this at a film festival, I might not think that highly of it, but seeing it, um, on a smaller screen in my home, um, like the second night of October was perfect. It was great. It was, it was awesome, uh, kind of Halloween set up movie times. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a little, a little bit of interesting competition going on basically between the characters. Um, So Aya Cash is the the much more successful writer of the two of them. And uh, she comes over to Josh Rubin's cabin in the middle of this blackout during a snowstorm. And as they get to know each other, she challenges him to a storytelling competition. So the format of it is the two of them telling each other scary stories. And then later, um, Chris Redd, who's delivering them a pizza, um, joins in as well and they are just kind of jumping around the cabin and reenacting them. Uh, And that's, that's where most of the humor comes from. It comes from like really weird setups and strange voices and characters that they put on. Um, And yeah, I find, I find those parts of it to be really, really funny and enjoyable. Um, And it's, it's kind of, it's a really interesting approach to low budget horror movie filmmaking in a way that feels really effective to me and kind of creative, like, I, I feel like this could have been made and probably was made with very, very little budget um, because it doesn't really require much of one. And I, I thought that the storytelling approach was was really clever and fun. And it was pretty obvious that everybody was having a super good time. Um, yeah, it just, it feels like you're in a living room getting drunk with your friends who like to tell scary stories and might have some really obnoxious personality quirks as well. Um, so yeah, in that sense i really I really enjoyed it.
2: See that last thing you said there That's why I was a little disappointed because the context for me seeing this to to your point about how it felt like it fit at home like in a shutter and in, in the comfort of your home that makes a lot of sense, and I think especially this time of year, I think it'll it'll probably be a total like a total blast for like a lot of people who are looking for that. I think my context was it was January it was sundance it was cold, there was snow. And I was hanging out with like uh, movie people, you know, writers, and we were sort of like talking to each other about, you know, stories. And so that's why I'm a little surprised this movie didn't affect me more. I, I didn't have that sort of moment where I felt like I connected to it, even though I think I had cash in this is like just, you know, I think Chris Red is really fun in this. I'm really glad he shows up because he kind of pumps the, the film up a bit. I think for me, the weak link is Ruben, unfortunately, but. Everything with Aya Cash, I just kept thinking to myself, this this character, this this setup for her, her writing, her performance, I, I really want to see her in other things. I, that's kind of what went through my mind. And I'm glad that I saw her in The Boys because I think she's pretty good in that show. But all right, Will Ashton, Abby and I, we've been competing a little bit. We've been telling stories or reviews, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you're here to deliver us a pizza, it seems.
0: I guess so, yeah, that that would work for this metaphor um so. yeah i I'm <laughs> uh I'm right at home with what you were saying, John. Like I think everything you said is basically where I'm at. I might be a little more positive than you, but only to maybe an extent because like I mean the the metaphor you use with the uh, being in someone's house and like watching them like do comedy to me the the metaphor that came to my mind was like going to a college improv show. And like you're there to like kind of help out your friend and like and it felt like, yeah, like obviously like Aya Cash is like the standout. And it's like, OK, yeah, like you clearly are good at this. You can do this. But like Josh Rubin's putting on the show. So he keeps like standing out in front. And it's like, oh, but like I can do this voice and like I can do this. And he's like, you know, no one really wants to say anything, but he's like kind of dragging it down, which I feel bad because it's his movie. But in any case, like, I don't know. Yeah, for me, like I think she's clearly really talented and I think she carries a movie quite well. And I, I, I will give props to Ruben as a filmmaker as far as like obviously being in one location that's like not especially cinematic to do a lot um, to like make that stand out in key moments. And like I use some visual flourishes in certain scenes to uh, make that work as far as like doing kind of different camera work and different things to, to make it have some visual flourish. I, I do think in key scenes when they're doing like the stories telling stuff in the middle, like that does start to work because he can kind of have more fun as a filmmaker. I just kind of feel like as an actor, he's like just kind of meh to almost too meh. Like I get that like the actor or the the character I mean is supposed to be. Yeah. I never believe him.
2: I I don't buy it like anything with his character.
0: And so, yeah, I just never fully got invested with it. And I I found that the movie itself, it just kept teetering between charming, charming and grating. And I think it kind of slewed a little bit closer to grading for me than charming just because it, it seemed like it was so infatuated with itself throughout that I I never really found it super funny. Like it's, it seems like it's trying to constantly like one up itself in a way that I, I don't know. I just, I, I wasn't super with the comedy in it, but I did get a couple of chuckles. Like I said, I think Aya cash is funny. And I, I think like you said, um, Chris red like he does bring some life into this and I think his enthusiasm for storytelling does come at at the right moment because it just brings a little bit of extra life into this in a way that I think was smart and I think it, it plays well to his strengths as a performer especially since I feel like he hasn't really gotten his due on SNL yet I haven't watched a lot of SNL recently but I always feel like he, he could be doing more than what they give him so I, I I do like that like movies like this are around to help his profile build but yeah, I'm I'm closer to you where you are on this one, John. Unfortunately, I I'm not fully with it, and uh, all I could really think throughout was just like I really wish Ab or um, Aya Cash was in a better film <laughs> because I feel like she clearly has the star power for it, and uh, I'm excited to see where she goes next.
2: Yeah, I, I do want to say I you know even I'm with you on the humor, but I am with you on some of those positives you brought up. The uh, the filming of it, the the way it's shot on location and all of that works. I I think this whole thing works conceptually. It's like, like I said, I just think that I felt like I watched a movie where it was clear to me, Ruben, you know, wanted to tell this story. He wanted to get a message across. I just wish I had personally been a little bit more entertained. But Abby, yeah, it sounds like with you, you were entertained by the humor. It sounds like just like the the vibe of this film. You were definitely in the right uh, temperament for it, and which I'm a little jealous and so I, I'm kind of, you know, I probably sound more negative than I really am. I'm not super negative on this film. I think, I think there are things I appreciate about it a bit. So yeah, if you want to maybe defend this film a little bit, Abby, we can get into our final thoughts and grades on scare me. Um, why, are, why do Will and I need to, to, to chill out here? I feel like I keep having to ask you that Abby, cause this keeps happening.
1: I know. Yeah. This is, this is the second time that I've been kind of disappointed in both of you. Shame. No, not really. Um, I, I, I totally understand that it's, I, I, I feel like it does, it works really well as a concept. And I, I like that concept a lot. Um, I think that there are some story elements that are a little lacking that might not take too much work to kind of shore up. Um, and I I don't know, maybe it's because the movie wants to live in a comedic space for so much more of the runtime, but I feel like there is a little more complexity that could have been there. Um, but for what it is, and it's also not a very long movie, I I enjoyed the performance elements of it. Kind of, I, I enjoyed them a lot. Um, and I I think that of, of the three actors in it, um, Ruben may not be... Quite as polished as the other two, but I mean, I think he still brings some really great strength to it. He does some really great voice work and a lot of physicality that I think is is worth noting and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, it's I think it's it's not a terribly um I don't know, I don't I don't want to say it's not ambitious, because I think it it is ambitious with with the kind of limited resources that it's using. Um, but it's it's a fairly low-key movie. And if you're just looking for like an hour and 45 minutes of solid fun entertainment on a friday night on a streaming service like shutter i feel like this really scratches that itch pretty well because it did for me so yeah i'd say grade would be like a solid b
2: all right solid b for abby abby gave it a b finally got to say that okay will ashton uh what did you think of this one grade wise
0: um yeah that's the thing i'm i'm really between b minus and c plus on it because i i I do recognize the positives like I I admire Josh Rubin for, you know, putting so much personality as far as like the acting and, you know, uh, recognizing that like Aya cash is like the star here and, and doing a good bit to uh, let her shine. And I think, you know, when when she gets to do her thing, she's really uh, stand out, obviously, because she's quite a talent. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as a movie, it's it's fine. Like, I, I don't think it's bad. I, I just don't think it's exceptionally good either. And I never was, like, fully with it in a way that, like, I felt like I could really get with it or I was, like, really put off by it. I kind of wish it was either better or worse because um, then I would have an easier time grading it, uh, just for me at least. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I'll give it a high C plus with the potential of going to a B-. Maybe if I chill out a little bit and just, like, think back on it. I'm like, yeah, no. I was a little harsh on it. You know, it, it did some things right. Maybe I, I just need to chill out a bit. Um, But at the moment, I'm I'm closer to C plus. So that's where I'll give it. That's where I'll give it.
2: Yeah, I'm facing the same exact crisis. I think uh, I was I was thinking about this a lot, too, when I was putting my like yearly ranking so far list together. I didn't know what to make with this film. If it was B minus or C plus for me, it is hard to grade because for me, I feel like I'm grading the effort more than anything here. Not really the film, which probably isn't the best, but yeah, it is one of those situations where I'm going to say B minus just because I, I I don't think there's enough in here to hate. Like there's just, there's nothing in here that's like bad necessarily. Like even Ruben's performance, which, you know, we've been a little harsh on it's uh, Yeah. Like Abby said, it's not bad. I I think that he is doing, you know, engaging stuff in here. It's almost like, the missed opportunity, the missed potential is more is what is kind of like getting me down on the way I talk about this movie and why I just don't really have an interest in seeing it again. So uh, I, again, I I am looking at it kind of grading it on a bit of a curve and appreciating it more than like actually enjoying it. And it's not a film that I easily recommend uh, unless you have a shutter account and yeah, you you're in the mood to check out a a fun little kind of claustrophobic horror, comedy light kind of thing so that is scare me it's available to stream right now on shutter and uh yeah i think we just have one film left uh i'm the only one who saw this one save yourselves this is our last sundance film of the week my gosh i can't i can't believe we just talked about all sundance films on the show and even even mentioning like glorious too that was sundance oh my goodness uh what other film festivals have come out this year but okay uh, Save Yourselves. This is a new comedy, very indie comedy, directed by Alex Houston Fisher and Eleanor Wilson. And the whole the whole idea of this one, it, this is another kind of low-budget, very like quirky Sundance-style sort of film that it stars uh, Sunita Mani as Sue and Ja-Paul Renner, Ja-Paul, John Paul Reynolds, hard to say for some reason, as Jack. And they're this kind of like hip, early thirties couple living in New York. I want to say Brooklyn and they, you know, the technology dominates their lives. You know, these characters are my age. I'm turning 30 in a couple of weeks. And, you know, one of the characters here is like just turned 30 and kind of like looking at what they've done in their lives. And, you know, cause, cause they're like, like I said, they're like a hit millennial couple. They're the sort of millennial, like where the millennials who are a little bit older than like me and, and Abby and will, I guess, they they're like the hipsters, right? Like a decade ago when the whole hipster thing was really being a thing. Uh, they, they were older than us. We, we, we kind of inherited some of that stuff obviously cause we were in our early twenties, but now, you know, we're starting to get to that point and we're, we're still trying to figure ourselves out. Like, what what are we like? What, what is this? What, you know, the, this connection between uh, an appreciation for nostalgia, you know, like having a typewriter in the park or some nonsense like that versus like being so connected to our phones. Right. And it's a tricky balance. And this movie kind of jumps into this like source material in a very high concept way because it starts off sort of being a, just like a quirky offbeat comedy about this couple who they're having trouble communicating. They're having trouble sort of disconnecting from technology and connecting to each other. So they decide to go to a cabin For a week and no phones or anything like that. And while they're bonding, there's some like weird stuff that they start to notice here and there. There's like a meteor shower that looks a little questionable. At one point, they hear like gunshots and screaming and like, oh, maybe it's hunting season. And there's a little the big joke here is that the one time that they aren't looking at their phones, they find out that the world is being invaded by aliens. And I don't want to say much more beyond that, except the film is very metaphorical. <laughs> um, it's very much about millennials sort of facing an existential like catastrophe on planet Earth. You know, maybe to other generations that sounds extremely dramatic, but I think something that does separate our generation from Gen Z, from Gen X, from the baby boomers a little bit. Uh, Probably not as much Gen X, but something that really separates us is how like freaked out we are about the world because we're the ones who are like getting a little bit closer to like, oh, like senators are going to be millennials eventually. Like we're going to have to, we have a lot of messes to clean up as a generation and we're kind of looking we're very like upset about it. (laughs) You know, like climate change is obviously a big deal. There's all of these things that our generation is looking at. Very worried, and this movie is sort of looking at that in a silly way, but in a silly way to get its point across. And I, I'm not talking a lot about like the details of this movie. I I know that like, you know, I, I haven't really gotten into the specifics of the characters. For example, like Sue is some is a character who I see so much of myself in. Right. You know, I don't see myself in the male character as much here, but I do in some respects. He's somebody who's sort of grappling with like, what is masculinity? Like I'm not good at like the the more traditional masculine roles of like being able to fix a car, but I'm also not good at like these more like modern masculine roles, like being able to like cook really well or you know, being very like helpful and useful to people. So there, there is so, sort of like that situation, but he's, he's very reserved. He like shuts down and, you know, he, he's not good at like talking about like what he really thinks about things. And that's all relevant because then once things start to hit the fan, the movie then becomes about like, okay, millennials, we got this. We can, we can go out and we can, you know, we can make something of this. It's not going to be perfect. We're not going to change the planet. We're not going to save the planet. We're going to save ourselves. Like th- that's really what this movie is getting at. It does it in kind of a sweet and very humorous way I laughed a lot during this movie and I think it works because the casting in this is just absolutely perfect and I just think these two actors I think anybody else not almost anybody else who could have taken on this role as Jack trying to do what he's doing probably couldn't have nailed it because he really gets close to being insufferable and annoying and somebody you don't want to spend time with but over time, you do see why they're a couple. You see what Sue sees in him, and you kind of get the feeling that there's a lot of room for growth for these characters. And I don't know. I just think that this film gets to its beating heart. It makes it look easy, the way it's able to combine humor and heart and the sweet tone, while also being a very fun, low-budget look at, like, what if, what if we had $20 to show aliens on the screen and they do it in a very funny, fun way. So I have almost no complaints with this movie, except that look, it's not shooting for the moon or anything. It's, it's not the most subtle movie. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious what it's trying to say. And I think it's a very specific thing. I don't know how other people outside of this age group are going to respond to this movie, to be honest. You know, maybe some older Gen Z folks will get a lot out of this. Uh, I think Gen Xers probably think this is some pretty ridiculous stuff <laughs> i'm not sure but yeah for me as somebody who feels a lot of what these characters are feeling right now i had a good time with them so i i recommend save yourselves i give it an enthusiastic b plus but abby will are you planning on seeing save yourselves i i told you got a little bit of a screener if you want it sounds like sounds like you guys want to save yourselves the trouble
1: I'd actually uh would really like to see it. I'm I'm excited to check it out. I'm sorry that I missed it this week. But yeah, I've I've been enjoying hearing about this and the lead up to it. And your review sounds like exactly what I had hoped it would be. So yeah, I'm excited to check it out soon.
0: Yeah, I'm curious for sure. I mean, I I, I was amused throughout the week that uh you spoke of this film as if I knew what it was or if I had any idea what it was. <laughs> so uh um, well, cool. you seen Save I, Yourselves yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, you, uh, yeah, you, you get the idea. Anyway. Yeah. I am uh, curious after hearing what you have to say about it. So sure. I'll check it out.
2: Definitely manage your expectations. It's not an, an amazing film. I, I just had an emotional connection with it, which is what pushes the grade up quite a bit for me, but yeah, just a fun little indie movie that I hope some of you have time to check out while you still can because aliens. All right. That's it for our show this week. Lots of fun reviews, lots of uh, lots of A's thrown around in this episode. Very happy about that. Um, definitely, some films we'll probably be talking about in our top films of the year later this year. So. With that, don't forget to leave us a review for our show rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can do that sort of thing. We're on our social pages. All that stuff is in the show notes, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, also on YouTube. And last but definitely not least, send us an email on cinemahawkspodcasts at gmail.com. Oh, and one more thing. If you want to leave a voicemail for the show, uh, you can find us on the Swell app. Link to that is in the show notes. And you can answer one of our weekly questions and maybe hear your voice on the show. We would love to hear it ourselves. But all right, that'll do it for us this week. From the Internet, California, I am John Negroni. From the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington.
1: From the Internet, Kansas City, I'm Abby Olchesi.
2: See you next time.